0: Hello everybody. Yeah, I'm good.
1: Good morning.
0: Good morning, Jesse.
1: Hey, Eddie. Could you come and help me learn this verse for Sunday school?
0: Sure. Which one?
1: It is James 1-8.
0: Oh, is that, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection? Grandma knows that one really well. Hey, Grandma, come up here and help. Josie.
1: No, Eddie, that is not the right verse. This verse goes, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways.
0: Oh, yes, of course. I knew that. What's the problem then? How can I help you with this verse then?
1: Well, Eddie, I just don't understand the verse. What does it mean to be double-minded?
0: That's an easy one. It means that you are always going in two different directions. It means that you want to serve Jesus... Do what is right, but you want to serve yourself as well. Hey, Callie Mae, come up here.
1: Yeah, Eddie?
0: Come help me with this illustration with Josie. Hurry up.
1: Okay, what is it, Eddie?
0: I want you and Josie to take this rope, tie it around your neck, make it tight enough so neither one of you can get away. You got
1: Are you crazy? Yeah.
0: No. Will you please just do it?
2: Okay.
1: I have a point.
2: Okay.
0: Brother. Are you done yet? Yeah. Okay. Not fine.
1: But I don't understand the point, Eddie. Yeah, what's the point?
0: I want you two to go about your business in the day, all tied up that way. You'll understand what a double-minded man is.
1: Okay, Callie Mae, let's go play with my doll babies. Um, I don't think so. I'm going to play with my army (laughs) man. No, we're going to play with my doll. No way! We are going to play cowboys and Native Americans! <laughs> no, we're not! Yes! No! Yes! No! Yes. Oh, no! Brother. No! No! Ouch! Ouch! That hurt, Josie!
0: Are y'all okay down there?
1: You are such a clot!
0: Exactly my point!
1: That was not nice, Josie! You're right. I'm sorry.
0: Can I speak now? Yeah. You two tried to live those few minutes with two minds. Yours, Callie Mae, and yours, Josie. It obviously didn't work. Well, it's the same way when you Christians attempt to live their life for God and for themselves. It doesn't work. They are miserable.
1: You mean... A double-minded man is a Christian who can't decide to serve only Jesus?
0: That is exactly it. We know that he is unstable, just like you and Callie Mae were when y'all fell.
1: Oh, I understand, Eddie.
0: Just remember the old saying, there are only two choices on the shelf, serving God and serving self.
1: Thank you, Eddie, for helping me to understand the verse for Sunday school. Yeah, Eddie. You even give me a new understanding on the verse for Sunday school.
0: You all are welcome. Well. Yeah, you, you're welcome.
1: Josie, Josie I, I need to say something. What? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, too. Okay.
0: Hey. Hey. Y'all wanna go get ice cream to celebrate?
2: Yeah! yeah. Yes! Yeah! Bye everybody! Bye! i, I want to get chocolate!
1: chocolate. I'm gonna get vanilla with sprinkles!
0: Finally chocolate. they can agree on something. <laughs> Bye! <clears throat>
3: Okay, I was looking for my Bible. I got a feeling I might need it. It is wonderful to see you here this morning. Those of you who missed one hour of sleep last night, and that's all of you unless you went to bed an hour early. We're glad that you're here. Thank you for being here in the house of the Lord. We want to say welcome to New Life Church. If this is your first time here, God bless you. Thank you so much for coming on uh, one of the most difficult days of the year for people to be in church, especially on time when they've lost an... I don't know why it's such a problem for some folks, but uh, evidently it is. But we are glad that you're here today. And um, I'm going to invite you, if you would, to turn in your Bibles to the book of Philemon. Our children are being dismissed. Uh, they're already gone, huh? While I was looking for my Bible, they left and went to children's church. That's good. They know what to do. Um, the book of Philemon, if you would turn with me there, that's after the pastoral epistles of First and Second Timothy, Titus, and then Philemon. So if you'll turn with me there... Uh, For those of you who don't know, we're now well over a year taking a book of the Bible each Sunday and uh, extracting from that the the main points and whatever we feel the Lord would be pleased for us to focus on on that particular Sunday. Just a few more Sundays and we'll be finished with that uh, process. Uh, But um, today we come to the book of Philemon. In our Bible study on Wednesday night, I started out the study by saying that this probably is one of the lesser known books of the Bible, um, people being unfamiliar with the contents and so forth, probably than most. Uh, It's a very uh, simple story that is told for us there, and it's that that we will focus on this morning. Um, I've entitled this sermon, Let the Church Show the Way. And I think that will make sense to us when we examine what Paul had to say to this man Philemon and why he had to say it and the circumstances. But before we read that, I'm going to spend a few moments, if you don't mind, kind of laying a foundation and giving some, um, some background that will help us place the scripture in its context also for then and also for now and what this topic will mean to us. And I'm going to pick a strange topic. Well, actually, I'm not picking the topic. This is uh, um, largely has to do and is, is extracted from our text today. But that is the subject of slavery. Um, slavery is something that has existed since mankind began. When we, we think of uh, slavery, we probably frame it within American history for the most part. But slavery is nothing new. There always has been slavery on the earth. And I want to kind of illustrate that to you throughout the scripture to lay a foundation for what Paul and Jesus uh, have to say about that particular subject and what our response to that should be. Uh, if you were begin, to begin reading in the book of Genesis, many of you remember how that we have summarized scripture into just a, a paragraph or so. We've done this many times. Uh, so I'm going to extract part of that and talk about the scripture in Genesis chapter 15 where a man named Abraham is introduced. Abraham, God made him great promises and said from him there would come a great and mighty nation. God had a special purpose for Abraham, something that Abraham was going to do. He was a great man. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to what? Israel. Absolutely. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. They had 12 sons, therefore we call them the children of Israel. And one of those 12 original children of Israel, his name was Joseph. The Bible tells us that Joseph, now we're back in Genesis 37 now. Genesis, uh, uh, excuse me, in the book of Genesis 37, Joseph was sold to the Midianites. His brothers hated him. They sold him to the Midianites who later sold him in Egypt to an officer of Pharaoh. So Joseph becomes a slave and we read about that in early in, in the Bible. The next book of the Bible also talks about slavery, but this on a greater, grander scale. And that is where the children of Israel who are now in Egypt are enslaved. There arose a king, the Bible says, who knew not Joseph, didn't care about Joseph and, and what a great man he was. And all the children of Israel who lived there and had been living there in Egypt are now enslaved. The Bible teaches us that the children of Israel were in Egyptian bondage or Egyptian slavery, if you will, for over 400 years. Scripture says, and you'll see it in quotes there, that the children of Israel were enslaved in Egypt by taskmasters and directly from Scripture who made their lives bitter with hard bondage. Being a slave would not be an easy life, would it? Especially if you had taskmasters or a what we would term a stern or a mean master. In Egypt, many of them had very evil and stern and hard taskmasters. So much so that they, many of them were killed, many of them were abused physically. And the Bible says that they cried out to the Lord for mercy. And God heard their cry and then sent Moses to deliver them from that bondage or that slavery that they had been under for some 400 years. After they were free, the next book of the Bible in Leviticus has a statement about slavery as well. But this is very revealing. Now, slavery has existed from the beginning. And then the scripture tells us that the children of Israel were in Egyptian bondage and then delivered from that. And as the Lord now in the book of Leviticus gives them uh, the law, we would say. It's more than the Ten Commandments as God reveals to them his will and the Lord gives them the law. Here's what Leviticus 25 verse 39 says. And if one of your brethren who dwells by you becomes poor and sells himself to you, you shall not compel him to serve as a slave. Isn't that interesting? After the children of Israel have experienced being in bondage after they have experienced 400 years of slavery, being on the wrong end, so to speak, now that they have been set free, the Lord says to them, because they understand what slavery is, they understand how cruel it can be, how in many ways anti-humane it can be. And so the Lord says to them, now if somebody in the community, if one of your people falls on hard times, they hit rock bottom. They have to start all over. If they sell themselves to you, uh, as it were, it would have been in slavery. But the Lord says to them now, if that happens, you shall not compel him to serve as a slave. But you shall treat him as a servant and you shall pay him his hire. And it gives dignity to God's people because no longer are they going to be allowed to uh, participate that, (coughs) excuse me, or be a part of that or have that in their own lives. Um, It's something that the Lord would not allow his people there to be enslaved in that manner and gave these guidelines to protect against that. Now, in your mind, if you would, I'd like for you to fast forward with me to the Roman empire. We go now to the time of Christ, new Testament times, uh, the times of Paul. And during that time and in that culture in Roman times, we're, we're given different figures. Uh, I've heard three fifths, two thirds, uh, yesterday I read where 70, Percent of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. That is, they were owned by somebody else. Someone had purchased them. Someone owned them. They. Some of them were even doctors and lawyers and very um, uh, intelligent, skilled people. But yet, they were not Roman citizens and they were owned by somebody else who was a citizen. And so, they were kind of second-class citizens, even though they had these very good jobs and and different skills to offer. So, uh, even in the New Testament, we read where when Paul was um, going to appeal before Caesar, uh, it surprised his accusers, the people who were uh, transitioning him to be before Caesar. They said, you have appealed to Caesar, what gives you the right to do that? And I'm paraphrasing now and Paul says, well, I'm a Roman citizen. You are a Roman citizen? The guard said, well, I'm, I'm a citizen too and I'm free, but I paid for my freedom. How did you get your freedom? Paul says, I was, I was born free. I was born into that situation where I was a citizen. Just another, um, uh, peeking into the, the culture of that time where slavery was so prominent and so many were affected by that type of a life. So into that culture, I want you to think with me. During the time of Jesus, during the time of Paul, during New Testament times, 70% basically of the people were slaves. That meant they were under a master. There was a master who owned them and there were slaves. Over 70% of the people. So in that culture, Christianity arose And I would like for us to see further evidence of that culture as we continue to read Scripture. When Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter 3, verses 26 through 29, here's what Paul had to say to them. Now, you'll understand why he had to say this to them, why he wanted to say this to them, based on what I've told you about the culture. Paul says to them, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. In verse 28 of chapter 3, he says, now he's talking to the church now. Paul says to the church there, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. There's no slaves and there's no masters when it comes to the church, when it comes to God's people, when it comes to the kingdom we don't have that system there. That's a fleshly system. That's an earthly system. That's a carnal system when it comes to the church. And I want you to get this on a Sunday morning. Now, Paul was writing to the church at Galatia, which was made up of all the above. Yes, there were Jews in that congregation. Yes, there were Greeks or Gentiles in that congregation. There certainly was male and female in that congregation, but there were also slaves in that congregation and their masters in that congregation and paul is writing to them and he's going against culture here by saying in christ we are all sons of god through faith in christ as many as of you who were baptized into christ and put on christ and there's neither jew nor greek neither slave nor free male nor female and you are all one in christ and and just in your mind imagine that if you would On a Lord's Day, when was when they worshiped then, which is when we worship now. The first day of the week, the Lord's Day it's called, when they gathered together to worship in the early church, in the typical congregation, you would have had Jews and Gentiles worshiping together. You would have slaves and their masters worshiping together. And when they walked through the door, all of that disappeared, all of those labels, all of those distinctions, and they were one in Christ, and they worshiped together, and they sat beside each other, and they praised the Lord together. In the early church, the gospel runs against culture. Did you know that what was happening in the culture of the day that would have been frowned upon that would have not been accepted too well. But the gospel then and always has run counter to the way that the culture goes. Culture is at odds with the gospel on many points. It's never been more true than it is today in America right now where the culture is running counter to what the Word of God teaches and what the Bible says in many different areas. We see that, um, that dissonance and that tension. Furthermore, in Colossians chapter 3, this, this thing is touched on again by Paul, as this time he writes to the Colossians in verse 11. He says in verse 11, talking about the church in the gathering there, where there is neither Greek nor Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Now he's not saying none of those are there. Obviously they're there. There are Jews there. There are Greeks there. There's people uncircumcised and circumcised. There's barbarians and Scythians. And yes, there are slaves and there are those who are free. But then he says, but Christ is all and in all. Aren't you thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ? That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten sons. And God has no favorites. God has no favorites. He doesn't look on one race higher than another. Or one group of people more than another. Or even any nationality above another. I know we all think that America is the apple of God's eye. But you know what? The people in Africa and other places will feel the same. That's because we have a loving Heavenly Father who cares about us wherever we are. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So all across the face of this globe, there are people who have experienced the love and the mercy of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ and have come to him. All those groups included there. And again, the people in the Colossians would gather together and they would worship the Lord there. In that culture, again, we see that fact that slavery was alive and well. In Ephesians chapter 6 verses... Five through nine. It opens up by giving instructions to different groups of people. Uh, and in verse five, it says, bond servants. Be obedient to those who were your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men's pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. With good will doing service as to the Lord. Not And not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And to you masters, do the same things to them. Giving up threatening. Don't do that anymore. Knowing that your master, who is God, is also in heaven and there is no partiality with him. God loves all people. We're all made in his image. After his likeness in Colossians three verses 18 through chapter four, verse one in verse 18, the Lord uh, or Paul gives instructions to wives and how they're to behave themselves. In verse 19, he gives instructions to husbands and how they're to behave themselves in verse 20 instructions are given to children and how they're to act in verse 21, how fathers are supposed to act. And then in verse 22. We read these words bondservants, instructions are given to those who are slaves, and they're they're bound in this in this particular situation. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Not with eye service as men's pleasers, but in sincerity of heart. Fearing God, You see there the, the culture was living one way and Paul as we're going to see is trying to redirect that and let the let the will of God be seen the kindness of God the glory of God his will let it be seen throughout the culture verse 23 and whatever you do do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. You serve the Lord Christ, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. For there is no partiality. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, he's still giving instructions. Give your bondservants what is just and fair. There's no abuse allowed there. Knowing that you also have a master in heaven. I would suggest to you, before we go any farther, that culture had something to do or culture had something we know as slavery but the church ignored it when it came to the gospel and spiritual things there are things about our culture brothers and sisters that we're going to have to learn to ignore as we align ourselves with scripture we can't fix all those things do you know there's a lot of things in the world right now we can't fix uh, listen, the Republicans can't fix them and the Democrats can't fix them and anybody in between hadn't been able to fix them. There's some things that that are going to probably exist as long as we're walking on the face of this earth because unregenerate man, man whose heart's not right, man who has not been reconciled to God, i.e. our culture and the people who who are driving the the way things are happening in the world, they're, they're out of step with the Word of God. And then you take the church, you take the people of God, we're out of step with culture, we're in step with the Word of God, and that makes there be a conflict between who we are as the church and what the culture says and wants. Therefore, we have somewhat of a problem because... If you think as a Christian you're going to be able to align yourself with what the culture is doing and where the culture is going, you're going to find yourself at odds with the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. We have to take a stand sometimes against what culture thinks and what culture does, and we have to let the church lead the way, or we have to let the church show the way, the church should be showing the way as we do what the Bible teaches. Amen? We get a beautiful picture of that. Now remember, Paul is in a culture where 70% of the people are slaves. He's writing to the churches. And he says, now, now slaves, servants, bond servants, obey your masters. Give them a good day's work. Do what's right masters you make sure you take care of your bond servants and you give them what is fair and just and you treat them like brothers in the lord because that's exactly what they are now what he's actually what he's doing is he is he is telling the church and teaching the church and trying to you ever heard of the scripture that talks about the renewing of your mind you know, the Bible says that we're supposed to study the Word of God, not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's why we send our children to Sunday school. That's why we go to church and hear the Word of God, so that our mind can be renewed. If your mind is made up and you don't want your mind changed, and you, you think you got it all together, then I, I don't even know. You fill in the blank. If you don't want to change, if you don't want your mind renewed, then why would we even go to church? We want to come to church and hear the word of the Lord because we recognize we need to learn to think like God thinks. We need to see, excuse me, I'm struggling with a tickle this morning. We need to see things like God sees them. We need to view things like God views them. And whereas God has already made it clear in his word that he doesn't consider it a right and a proper thing for Christians to be enslaved and keeping others enslaved, then the church needs to show the way and agree with what God's word says, even if that means they walked out of step with the culture. Now listen to what Paul said. I shared a moment ago that the book of Philemon may be a book that we know less about than any other book in the Bible. I'm not going to read it all, although there's only 25 verses in the whole book. I'm going to begin at verse 8 and read just a part of it. Verses 8 through 15. Paul says to Philemon, Philemon incidentally is a man in the church. Philemon is evidently a fairly well-to-do man and he, he has some slaves. One of these slaves, named Onesimus, has run away. Now, before we read this, may I just share with you that in those Roman times, if a slave would run away, the results for that slave there wasn't much positive to be said if he was captured first of all there would be a reward for the person who found him and got him back to his owner because that was serious business secondly history records that they would brand you know what branding is like you'd brand a cow you take a hot poker and get it in the in the fire and get it hot and then stamp an image on their forehead. It was the equivalent to an F for the Latin word fugitive F and they were marked as a runaway slave. And if they didn't want to do that and many didn't, they would rather just die and be killed. It was not a, it was not a a small thing. For a slave to run away. This man Onesimus has run away. After he ran away. He went to Rome. And there in Rome. Somehow he met the apostle Paul. And he became a Christian. He became a believer. I mean a dedicated believer. Let's read what Paul says. Philemon is the man in the church who had a slave named Onesimus. Onesimus is the slave who had run away, beginning at verse 8. Now the apostle Paul is writing to this man and he says, Though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, I could pull out my apostle card and remind you who I am. I could do that. But he says, I, "I'm, I'm going to. I could be bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. I'm going to make a request of you, Philemon. Me being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul's in prison for preaching the gospel." Verse 10, Paul says, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you. Sounds like he might have been hard to deal with, doesn't it? Maybe somewhat of a troublemaker. Who was once unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You, therefore, receive him. That is my own heart. Whom I wish to keep with me. That on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent I wanted to do nothing. That your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh, And in the Lord. In some ways. What an awkward situation. Philemon. Was a Christian. Who had this slave who ran away. This slave was not a Christian. He was not a believer. We learn that because. While Onesimus was. In Rome and somehow met Paul. Paul led him to the Lord. And that's why Paul says he's a son. He was begotten under my ministry. I led him to the Lord. I shared with him the love of God. And the dignity of a human life. And he came to Christ. And then Paul learns perhaps even after that. That he was actually a slave. And Paul says... I have to send him back. What did culture say? What did the culture say? If Onesimus goes back to Philemon, I've already explained probably what would happen. He would have been branded as a fugitive, or he may have just chosen death instead. And Paul says, He is my son. In the faith. I led him to the Lord. He has become profitable to me. He has been ministering to me. He's he's my heart. I love him. And now I'm sending him back to you. And I'm asking you. To do the right thing. Philemon. I want you to do the right thing. Now most of you know. You can think with me. You can imagine with me. I would think. What an awkward situation this would be. How many have ever been offended by someone or, or you offended someone and it created some dissonance between you and them? Now don't look at me like I fell out of a tree and that's never happened to you. And you you had an uncomfortable period of time with somebody because somehow something had happened. It happens, right? Happens to all of us. But probably not to the same level that this had happened. Because I'd like for you to think with me. Paul says to Philemon, if he has done anything or if he owes you anything, let me know. Put it on my account and I'll take care of it. Which leads us to believe there was a good possibility that Onesimus, when he left, he probably left with some things that didn't belong to him. We don't know all the details, but we do know this. First of all, when he left, it was under bad terms. He was a runaway slave. But you know what? The other side of that coin is we don't know what Philemon might have done to Onesimus that caused him to run away. Am I right? It could be that Philemon had mistreated Onesimus. And certainly it could be true that Onesimus had mistreated Philemon. Here's my point. Both of them needed forgiveness and both of them needed to extend forgiveness. Right? A lot of times we we fold our arms and we put our hands in our pockets and we refuse to act or participate in the process of reconciliation because we think it was the other person's fault. When the fact of the matter in fact the Bible teaches us, Jesus taught this. Uh, he said, if there's something between you and your brother. You need to do everything you can to make it right. And if he comes and asks for forgiveness, you need to forgive him. But you need to forgive him even if he doesn't come ask for forgiveness. So we're all the time pointing the finger to the other person and waiting for them to do what they're supposed to do. Forget what they're supposed to do. You just need to do what you're supposed to do. Right? And then you'll be in a right standing before God and can feel good about it. So Paul writes to Philemon and says... I want you to receive him and I want you don't don't receive him as a slave. I want you to receive him as more than a slave. Receive him as a brother because that's what he is. Now remember, when he left, he wasn't a Christian because he didn't become a Christian until he met Paul. But when he comes back, oh my goodness, I can just imagine them going to church the next Sunday and they're sitting right beside each other at church. Or maybe on different sides of the building, kind of eyeing each other, and they begin to worship the Lord, and they begin to have that feeling in the heart. You know what? I, I I really can't, I really can't worship the Lord from my heart until I get this out of the way. You know, the Bible says if you come to the altar to bring your gift and you remember that your brother has all against you, what are you supposed to do? leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. That is to say, we have to be in a right relationship with the people around us. Forgiveness is the lesson here and it's not optional. Did you know that forgiveness is not an option for Christians? The Lord said... Part of the Lord's prayer was, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. How many remember those words? How many like to be forgiven? Just as soon as the amen was said to the Lord's prayer. Jesus taught them how to pray. He said those words. And this is the way we're supposed to pray. Oh Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And Jesus closed out the prayer with the amen at the end. And he, the very next words out of his mouth were, look at the next verse. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Boy, this is an important verse here, verse 15. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. that's just as much the word of god as john 3:16 forgiveness is not an option it is not it it breaks my heart to over the years to have known grown adults i guess an adult would be grown but adults children Who would not even speak to their parents and hadn't in years. And are harboring this hate or contempt or whatever. Unforgiving to the core. But come to church every Sunday and lift their hands and... I'm going to tell you there's a problem there. Go criticize me for shooting straight if you want to. If if we cannot forgive the people... For whatever reason who have offended us, we're going to be in trouble when we stand before God. It's not an option. And that, I think, is what what Paul wants us to learn from this passage. Because there's no telling. There's no telling what Onesimus had done that we're not privy to. And, and things that Onet, that Philemon might have held on to and said, I ain't going to forgive him till he makes it right. He's going to have to get on his hands and knees and beg me to forgive him before I do it. That's not a Christ-like spirit. And besides, as I shared before, Jesus taught, if they don't even ask for forgiveness, you're supposed to forgive them. If you believe that, could somebody say Amen. amen. We, we need to quit making our excuses and, and holding things up like they're important things. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't get much more important than this. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. It's very important. So then Onesimus went back. I wish I could tell you the rest of the story. But I don't know how it ended. After he went back, when Onesimus went back, I wish we had all the details of what happened. I'd love to know. I think I know. I think probably Philemon forgave him and said, you know what? I think I'd like for you to go back. Paul is in prison. He needs your help. Why don't you just go back and and minister to Paul? Everything between me and you is okay. God bless you. Go be a blessing to Paul. I think probably that's what happened. But I can't prove it. I know that would have been a Christ-like response, would it not? But You know what? the The fact of the matter is that the Lord is watching over us every day to see how we handle... Like situations in our lives. Amen. And sometimes instead of. As the scripture would talk about. Sometimes instead of. Being peacemakers. It seems like that. We're more inclined to be troublemakers. As Christians. You and I both know us the truth. Some churches are noted as being hotbeds of junk. Lord, don't let that ever get a hold of New Life Church. Let us be true enough to the word of God. Take sincerely enough his word that we don't allow that to get a hold of us. Forgiveness is much bigger, I think, than what any of us can even imagine. By this forgiveness, we can accomplish what the screen says. No grudges. Could everybody say no grudges? You can live that way. You can absolutely live that way with no grudges. No hate, would you say that? No unforgiveness. No attitudes. Now I'm not talking about good attitudes. Like the be attitudes. You know what I mean when I say attitude, don't you? you ever know anybody who had an attitude? Okay, you got it. No prejudice. No prejudice, no contempt, no division. You see, by doing that, let's go back, Kevin, to the one. If you hold no grudges, you have no hate, there is no unforgiveness, you have no attitude, no prejudice, no contempt toward anyone, and no division, then that's a way to let the church show the way. Amen? Amen. I mean, what an awesome way to let people see the light. What an awesome way to be the salt of the earth and have a preserving influence to do the way the scripture says. No grudges, no hate, no unforgiveness, no attitudes, no prejudice, no contempt, no division. Jesus taught love and forgiveness. The New Testament teaches forbearance, that means putting up with things, being a peacemaker, being long suffering, and being patient. Being patient. Jesus said a lot about love. These are the words of our Lord in John thirteen thirty five. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love. For one another. Love. Let me ask you this. What kind of testimony would Philemon have if he ignored Paul's advice and his request and let Philemon have it, excuse me, let Onesimus have it when he came back and branded him a fugitive? I would say his Christian witness would have been pretty much shot, wouldn't you? But if he forgave and held no grudges, then I would say he would have grown 10 foot tall in the eyes of a lot of people. Love equals unity or love brings unity. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That's what Pastor Ron gets from the book of Philemon and the story of Philemon and Onesimus. Forgiveness. It's a great, a great thought, is it not? I'm going to ask you if you would to um, stand and sing with us this prayer as we close this morning. Make us one, Lord. Make us one. Holy Spirit, make us one. Let your love show. So the world will know. We are one. In you. Make us one. We were singing, I thought about Jesus, who suffered many unbearable, very difficult things. The Bible teaches us that as he was being spat on, as he had nails driven through his hands and his feet, set a crown of thorns pressed down on his brow, in the original You've heard the the phrase, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But in the original, it indicates he didn't say that just once. He kept saying that. And when he was abused and when people kept doing things and saying things to him, he would say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There's not a person in the building today who's come close at all. To experiencing what Jesus experienced. And with God's help. His love and his power. Every person in this building can forgive. Anybody in your past and in your life. Not only could forgive but should forgive. The people in your past, in your life. Don't let what somebody else has done or did mess you up. Forgive them. Rest of it's up to them. But make sure that this doesn't stand in your way. Right. Oh Lord. Thank you for the very clear teaching of your word. I thank you Lord that on issues this critical to our salvation and our futures. Thank you that you don't mince words. Lord, you didn't coat this in sugar and try to disguise it and make it more palatable. You came right out and said it as plainly as it could possibly be stated that if we're unwilling to forgive, then our Father in heaven will not forgive us. So help us. I know sometimes we... We go through times that are difficult and situations where we're treated wrongly. And I know sometimes that hurt is deep and has been there for a long while. But with your grace and your mercy and the enabling power of the Holy Spirit, you can help us, each of us who are here today, to forgive anyone for anything that may have happened to us. Or in our lives, grant us the strength and the power to do that, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Would you please greet each other? And Lord willing, we'll see you Wednesday evening.